podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. Well, good morning, New Hope. It's a pleasure to share with you around God's Word this morning. It's amazingly simple to become a follower of Jesus, isn't it? The barriers of entry into the Christian life are remarkably low, aren't they? You don't have to purchase a ticket. You don't have to walk across hot coals. In the matter of a sentence, with just a few trembling words, whoosh. We are, as Nicodemus, uh, as Jesus explained to Nicodemus, born again, born again from above. This beautiful and simple beginning is just that. It's just a beginning. It's not the destination. As human beings, we all know that not all beginnings lead to the destination, do they? Not the destination we have in mind, at least, or even sometimes any destination at all. Sometimes our beginnings actually turn out to be false starts false dawns, dead ends. Sometimes we begin and despite our very, very best efforts, we seem to go nowhere very much. Just last Sunday, I was reminded that um, on Mother's Day, I was supposed to give my mother a cross-stitched embroidered teacup um, that I've been working on since 1997. (laughs) I began 26 years ago and still there is no end. Do you have any of those things in your life, I wonder? People who quilt have this wonderful expression. They call those kinds of things UFOs, unfinished objects. I don't know about you, but I've got an awful lot of unfinished objects in my house. In fact, my confession is I've got an awful lot of unfinished projects as well. Perhaps realising our innate weakness in this area, that we're really great at beginnings but less good afterwards. The Apostle Paul, ever the encourager, offers to us and to the early church in Ephesians chapter 4 this encouragement. I beg you, he says, I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've been given. You have been given an extraordinary new beginning, A glorious inheritance, grace upon grace has been showered upon you. So please, I beg you, don't leave unfinished what you have begun. Having set out, don't turn back. And for for goodness sake, don't stand still. You took a leap of faith into the loving arms of God. And remember, keep pressing into the loving arms of God by leading a life worthy of the calling that you've received. With all humility, Paul says, with all gentleness, with patience, with bearing one another in love, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. And as part of his encouragement, Paul goes on to remind us in Ephesians 4 of the destination of the journey that we have begun. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be reading from verse 11 to verse 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul draws on a metaphor we all know from the inside out. He draws on the metaphor of human development, the experience of growing up. We all emerge kicking and screaming into this beautiful life. And from the get-go, we get thrown into this incredibly intense experience of learning, learning what it is to be alive, learning how to stay alive, learning how to be human. The French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre famously said, everything has been figured out except how to live. Everything has been figured out except how to live. The question of how to live is something that every one of us has got to figure out. And it's a question that we don't answer just once, as if we answered it last Tuesday as we were having our morning coffee and there's no need to revisit the question. It's a question we face over and over again as we go through each different stage in our life, as we experience new things that open up new understanding. And we don't grow all at once, do we? In some strict chronological order. Our maturity as people doesn't follow the maturity of our bodies. While our legs might hopefully grow at the very same speed, there are whole parts of us that grow at different rates. First one dimension and then another, perhaps gaining maturity in one realm of our lives only to leave another untouched. After a certain age, I think we look like adults on the outside, but I reckon there are whole parts of us on the inside that are yet to leave the nursery. It's a curious thing to see an adult throw a tantrum, isn't it? I happened to witness one last week when I went to the post office at Mitcham. There was a 60-year-old woman who just totally lost it. She did everything apart from throw herself on the floor, <laughs> kicking and screaming. Everyone else in the line completely just couldn't look. We just stood there averting our eyes, acting like it wasn't going to happen. Paul wants us to know that he wants us to grow up into an entire person, grow up in every single way, he says. No part of you is exempt from growing up. Don't confine your growth merely to Sundays. Don't think your growth solely happens in, in the 30 minutes that you spend with Jesus each day. And don't just be mature at work and, and with your friends, but not with your family. Don't confine your growth solely to your mind, but grow up in your emotional self-awareness, in your capacity for self-control, in, in the scope of your reflection as a person. Grow up in every way, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, grow to full maturity. 
Paul's really keen from the get-go to help us to understand what immaturity looks like. He says, don't be children tossed back and forth and blown here and there. That picture that he has blown here and there reminds me of those things that you sometimes see outside of businesses, those really large banners that get, you know, blown by the wind. Have you seen those kinds of things? The wind that Paul is talking about here is the wind of other people's opinions and their thoughts. Again, if we think about this in human development terms, one of the differences between immature and mature people is that instead of developing their own thinking, immature people merely adopt the thinking of those people around them. Instead of being in touch with their own feelings, people merely pick up on the feelings of others and reflect those. And we see this process, of course, in child development, don't we? The whole process of parenting a child to its development is so that the child may move from simply adopting the thoughts and feelings of their parents to then stand independent, having their own thoughts and feelings about the world. And even as adults, we really have to admit that our peers, our family, our colleagues, our friends, our culture actually do really significantly impact our own thinking and feeling. So in this context that Paul's addressing here in Ephesians 4, he is warning the early church about all kinds of teaching and all kinds of teachers. He's saying, don't just accept the thinking and the feeling of others about God. Some people use religion as a product. Some people are religious charlatans. They're crafty, they're devious, they're like sheep with the heart of wolves. And what these charlatans are exploiting is our inherent immaturity. I think it's easy to think about immaturity as just being this thing that's about our learning. It's easy to write immature people in the Christian faith off merely as those that haven't done enough Bible study. But I think that actually what the religious charlatans and tricksters get their hooks into in us is that they're exploiting our needs, not our minds. Like our need for certainty. Religious charlatans want to tell us, follow me, follow my way, and I'll give you all the answers you're looking for. Religious charlatans play on our need for significance. Follow me and I will make you powerful and important. They play on our need for love. Follow me and I will make you feel more valued and more secure than anyone else. And no one escapes this kind of testing, not even Jesus. You'll remember that after his baptism, the Spirit led him out into the wilderness And the accuser tempted him with all kinds of shortcuts to get the things that many human beings want. In contrast to this, immaturity that is blown by the wind, Paul pictures maturity as being growing into the head who is Christ, growing up into Christ. Jesus is what a mature adult looks like. And if we think about this in terms of human development, we're not the first human beings to be born, are we? There are many others who have gone before us and many who will come after us, and each of these lives offers us a model, perhaps a particular answer to the question, how should I live? 
And whether or not we're aware of it, our answer about how to live is profoundly shaped by those around us. Most significantly, our family, of course, and the culture that we live in. So the question isn't if we're going to follow someone's model. The question is whose model are we following? Because each and every one of us is following someone's model of what it means to live a human life. Because we're imitators. This is at the heart of how we learn and we grow. We see someone and we imitate it. And that's how we develop. So the question for us is who are you going to imitate? What picture of maturity right now are you holding in your mind that you are directing your actions and your energy and your thinking towards? What is the model that defines what you think mature adults look like? How do we know that we're making progress towards maturity? What does maturity in Christ even look like? Well, Paul tells us it looks like speaking the truth in love so that love might be built up amongst the body of Christ. This phrase, speaking the truth in love, is a phrase that I think we all know really well. It's certainly a phrase that I've puzzled over and had endless conversations with people around, particularly about what it means in practice. Does, the, does speaking the truth mean in, in love mean that I'm obligated to point out that thing that's currently hanging off your lip? Does it mean that my, if my new haircut is a little bit Kim Jong-un, not very Kim Kardashian, <laughs> that you're the person who's going to come and gently tell me that? Is speaking the truth in love just kind of a Christian ease for being judgmental but with a smile? Is that what Paul means? I think the key to understanding this particular phrase is thinking about what Paul means when he says truth. What is the truth that Paul is asking us to speak? Well, he's talking about the gospel. It is the truth of the gospel that we are to speak in love. He's talking about the eternal truth of God's faithfulness and God's covenant love towards us. He's talking about the truth that Jesus Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. The Greek word that Paul uses here is actually sometimes translated as faithfulness. And one of the ways that God enacts his faithfulness is through making covenants. Covenants is just a fancy theological term for a series of promises. You remember that God enters into a series of covenants in the Old Testament with Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. God promises Noah after the flood that he will never kill everyone with a flood again. God promises to bless Abraham with many descendants, as many as the stars, and that they will become a blessing to the, to the nations. And in turn, Abraham promises to love God only and to follow him and to remain faithful. So a truthful person is one who lives out his or her covenant commitments faithfully. This is a person who says and does things in alignment with those faithful promises that they've made. So speaking the truth in love isn't about truthfully pointing out the errors and faults and foibles in others with a smile. It's about ensuring you remain faithful to the truth and to God. Truthful about what God has promised, faithful to the covenant promises that you've made. 
Speak the truth in love, Paul says. Live according to the truth you have committed yourself to and let love be your overriding goal. For Paul, speaking the truth in love like this is the precise opposite of being unstable and blown by the wind and immature because it is in this place of truthfulness and faithfulness that we are able to stand and weather the winds that blow around us. If we don't, we're inclined to be the kind of people that says one thing but does another, says this on Tuesday but that on Thursday, inconsistently living out the promises that we've made. But why does maturity matter so much? Paul gives us, I think, a really surprising answer. He doesn't say you need to be mature so that you can be healthy and happy and wise, although I think that's true. He says instead this in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow into become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that's Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, one of the most striking things about this passage is that Paul locates the process of maturity in the body of Christ. Maturity doesn't happen if we take ourselves up and live on a mountain alone. We will not mature in Christ who is the head, if we aren't connected to the body. I mean, do you realise this morning how much I need your maturity if I am to grow up and be mature? Do you realise that one of the greatest gifts that you have to offer here at New Hope is your maturity? The other thing that I think is striking is that we don't grow up in maturity into the body of Christ. If we don't do this, Paul says, the body actually won't be healthy. Did you know that not only does my immaturity affect you, but it also affects the effectiveness and impact of this church? And if the church isn't healthy, How can God work through it in the ways that God wishes to bring health and wholeness and healing to the world? Our maturity is deeply connected to the capacity of the body of Christ, of the church, to fulfil its mission in the world. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? If I'm not connected to the body, I won't mature And if the body doesn't grow in maturity, then it will not fulfil its God-given mission in the world. That's how critical the issue of maturity is, Paul says in Ephesians. Doesn't that just blow your mind? If I am not connected to the body of Christ, I will not fully mature. And if we are not healthy together, seeking maturity together, then we will not fulfil our purpose as the church. You see, God has given us one another, not just so that we might have a place to belong, although that is true, but because we are essential. You are essential to each other's maturity. Here in the body of Christ, I find people that are so much more mature in some respects than I am. And my goodness, I need their example. I need their wisdom and their guidance. 
I need them to show me what friendship and grace and trust and truth looks like. I need them to help me to see the dumb ways that I get in my own way. And here in the body of Christ, I also find people who frankly drive me absolutely nuts. And these two are part of God's gifts to me because they help me to learn in a way that I never possibly could how to deal with my disappointment, how to process and sit with my unmet expectations. They throw all kinds of things at me that require really hard stuff like forgiveness and love. Paul situates the process of maturity smack bang in the midst of the people of God. And we are to become mature by the rough and tumble of the relationships that we find there where we experience both the best and the worst of people. It's only when we're able to sit in that space of maturity, holding that and growing in the midst of that, that the body of Christ has the capacity to impact the world. It's been over two millennia since Jesus came. And one of the things that I love about the church is that the wisdom of the church grows over time. And one of the gifts that the church has given us is this practice of confession that I think draws us towards maturity. I think confession is an essential practice if we're going to be mature. I read a wonderful story about a parish priest who served in the very first World War and who spent 60 years hearing people's confession. And one day someone asked him, what have you learned? What have you learned from hearing so many people's confession over so many years? And he smiled and said this, I have learned that there is no such thing as a grown-up person. There is no such thing as a grown-up person. But isn't it amazing that in the tenderness of the experience of confession, we are given permission to confront and to reckon with our own immaturity. And not only that, in confession we come to Jesus like little children and we are welcomed into his loving arms. We come with all of our shame and all of our fear about being seen and being known. And by spelling out in the simplest and most childlike way that we possibly can what we are ashamed of, this extraordinary thing happens. The taboo is broken. The weight falls to the ground. And we are set free. It is a new beginning. Friends, the way to perfection isn't, the the way to maturity isn't to be perfect. The way to maturity is to constantly recognise our own immaturity and to ask again for a new beginning. Confession is the place where we let go. Confession is the key to never allowing our faith to become a UFO, an unfinished object, an unfinished project. We don't want to be infants, do we? None of us wants to be thrown back and forth, blown here and there. We want our lives to be grounded, 
held secure in the arms of a loving God. So as the musicians come this morning, I invite you to reflect simply on this question. Are you growing towards maturity? Are you growing towards maturity? And as you think about that question, who really is the model of maturity in your life? Is it actually Jesus? Or is it a whole bunch of other people who you're trying to please? Do you know what it means and what it feels like to be tossed to and fro? Well, I wanna tell you this morning that you don't have to live like that. That there is an opportunity, perhaps for the first time, merely with the speaking of a few sentences, to find a solid place in your life and to seek to follow Jesus. Or maybe it's been a long time since you know that peace of being held in the arms of God. And Jesus' invitation to you this morning is to simply come back and to remember that it is a new day and there is more grace available today for you than you could possibly imagine. And it will be here each and every day of your life. Let's pray together as we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Spirit of the living God, come and bind our hearts together. Give us this morning a fresh vision of what life in Christ could really look like. Unsettle those of us that are complacent. Save those of us that are drowning. Lord, come and offer us your forgiveness and your freedom again. As we take this moment to drop our shoulders, to let down our guard, and to tell you all the things that have us by the throat. God, we confess the things that are holding us down and, and drawing your life from us. We name the ways in which we know we are immature, the child in us, the parts of us that throw tantrums, that are so angry when we don't get our own way. God, we are desperate for you to save us. God, we stand on the promise that nothing can separate us from your love. And so having confessed, we receive your extraordinary grace and forgiveness again. We thank you that you take our sins and you make them as far as the east is from the west. We thank you that your heart of compassion is poured over us again this morning. Set us free, God, this week to love and to serve you. Grow us up into the head that is Christ so that we might be your hands and feet in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship.